Our reading this morning comes from the second letter to the Corinthians, chapter 9. If you're using one of the church Bibles, you'll find that on page 1164. 1164, 2 Corinthians, chapter 9. Just pause while the rustling of pages dies down. That's good. Verse 1. There is no need for me to write to you about this service to the Lord's people, for I know your eagerness to help. And I have been boasting about it to the Macedonians, telling them that since last year, you and Achaia were ready to give, and your enthusiasm has stirred most of them to action. But I am sending the brothers in order that our boasting about you in this matter should not prove hollow, but that you may be ready, as I said you would be. For if the Macedonians come to me and find you unprepared, we, not to say anything about you, would be ashamed of having been so confident. So I thought it necessary to urge the brothers to visit you in advance and finish the arrangements for the generous gift you had promised. Then it will be ready as a generous gift, not as one grudgingly given. Remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to bless you abundantly, so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. As it is written, they have freely scattered their gifts to the poor, their righteousness endures forever. Now he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will also supply and increase your store of seed and will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion and through us your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. This service that you perform is not only supplying the needs of the Lord's people but is also overflowing in many expressions of thanks to God. Because of the service by which you have proved yourselves, others will praise God for the obedience that accompanies your confession of the gospel of Christ and for your generosity in sharing with them and with everyone else. And in their prayers for you, their hearts will go out to you because of the surpassing grace God has given you. Thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. This is the word of the Lord. Morning again. Um, Just one further notice um, to give you and to remind you about. You should have had an email about Chris and Karis's leaving um, next Sunday. That's their last Sunday. Um, Please do respond to that email if you can. It would be would be great. We're organising a a meal for us as a church family at one o'clock. Love as many of us to be there. Come uh, respond to that email and uh, and give thanks. For, for Chris and Karis, and we'll do that more next week. Please keep your Bibles open at page 1164 as we, we're going to look at um, five principles of giving that I hope help us to think and pray through our response. So, Father God, we, we come to your word now and we pray that you will um, help us to see uh, what you are calling us to when it comes to the matter of giving. Please um, be with us by your spirit. Lead us, we pray, in Jesus' name. Amen. 
The first principle um, there in verses 1 to 5 is, is summarised as be ready to give. Be ready to give. I want you to imagine for a moment um, that it's, it's Christmas Eve. It's not that long ago. Um, some friends drop round unexpectedly to, to see you. And um, unexpectedly to you, they've also brought a, a present for you as well. Um, but it's Christmas Eve, isn't it? And you weren't expecting that. And you think to yourself, the shops are closed. What am I going to do? How embarrassing. I've got nothing um, to give back to them. I've been caught out. Um, and so you rummage around in that cupboard. You know that cupboard? Have you got one of those cupboards where you keep gifts that maybe, or, or things that you're not quite got out before, we've got one of those, to find chocolates or something like that, that you don't really like that much to give as a a, a present. And immediately it becomes obvious that your gift isn't really a gift at all. You're only giving because you feel terrible, you feel forced, you kind of feel obliged to, to give. And you hadn't planned it, it wasn't your intention to do that. Um, but they turned out out of the blue and you feel um, like you, you need to give something back. And of course, the, the gift that you bring out is just simply a, a kind of a hollow gesture, really. In our passage, Paul is going to arrive at Corinth. Now, not unexpectedly, um, like our Christmas friends. He, he's coming to collect money that he provided by the the Corinthian church for the believers in in Jerusalem. And unlike the the chocolates in the the kitchen, Paul is concerned that they're not kind of scratching around, um, trying to put something quickly together in the last minute, um, a kind of out of a forced embarrassment or something. And, And Paul writes to them here in advance of that collection saying, like in verse 3, I'm sending the brothers in order that our boasting about you in this matter should not prove hollow, but that you may be ready. And that phrase, may be ready, is repeated three times in that first um, five verses. You see it again in verse 5. Then it will be ready as a generous gift, not as one grudgingly given. See, Paul wants the Corinthians to be ready, to give, and, and he, the Lord wants us to be ready um, to give, um, being planned and praying through. How ready are we this morning? How ready are you this morning? That's the first principle, is to be ready. Um, but the second one here is that you reap what you sow. Um, verse 6, if you look at it with me, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows generously will also reap generously. The statement is actually very much like the statements that you find in the book of Proverbs. It's a proverbial statement. Proverbs 11.24 says something very similar. One man gives freely, yet gains even more. Another withholds unduly, but comes to poverty. A generous man will prosper. He who refreshes others will himself be refreshed. Now, statements like this are are not meant to be read as a a sort of categorical promise. They are proverbial. They're making a a, a point. 
a statement to encourage us and the Corinthians <coughs> here particularly, that if you sow sparingly, it seems obvious, doesn't it, that you will reap sparingly. And this reminded me of the time when we first moved to Carlisle, where I was a curate and an assistant minister. And the garden was pretty bare, and Hannah and I decided that we would we'd plant the garden up a bit, and we bought one bag, one bag of tulips to plant in the garden. And so we planted them in the autumn, uh, out, and nicely apart, and we thought there's going to be a brilliant bloom of colour, came to the came to the spring, and there were, I'd hardly see them. (laughs) But we'd only bought one bag. It was a bit pathetic. We'd sown sparingly, and we were reaping sparingly. If we'd gone crazy in the autumn, um, I'm sure it would have been very different with a great display of colour. Now, of course, why we shouldn't read this This proverbial statement as a categorical promise, it does have something to teach us, doesn't it? An important principle that generosity has its own, it brings its own harvest. Third principle here that we see in scriptures in verse 7 is that it is a matter of the heart. It's a matter of the heart. Look at it with me. Verse 7, each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion. Giving is a matter of the heart. Uh, Eugene Peterson um, has written a paraphrase of the Bible, uh, and it, it's quite helpful at times, and particularly on this verse. He, he, he writes his paraphrase of this particular verse like this. I want each of you to take plenty of time to think it over and make up your own mind what you will give that will protect against sob stories and arm twisting. To protect against sob stories and arm twisting. It's true, isn't it? So much of our kind of charity appeals that we we see today are often based on sob stories or, or arm twisting trying to get you to give by telling you some vivid emotional um, story. There's a kind of emotional blackmail in it, isn't there? I mean, you can't look at some of those things without reacting in that way. They are often difficult situations, but the TV and the, the way that they're set up is to end with, you know, that kind of statement that you so often see, just two pounds will save a life. And of course, these stories are tragic, and many of these charities do lots of good things, important things, but so many uh, go for that kind of manipulative process. But Paul here says that you should give what you have decided in your heart to give. Uh, importantly, we shouldn't confuse heart here with just emotions. It's actually not just the, the when the Bible talks about the human heart, talking about actually much more than emotions, talking about the, the will and the, and the mind here. The brain is involved. Praying is involved. Notice verse 7 says, each of you. 
is a personal response. Some of us have plenty and can give more. Some of us don't have very much at all and can only give a little. But there should be no place, no place for manipulation, no place for blackmail. Each must decide based on conscience before the Lord because it's a matter of the heart. It's a matter of the heart, not a matter of the calculator. And the picture here is of a a cheerful giver. Did you see that there? A cheerful giver. Uh, We know how easy it is to receive cheerfully when we get a gift, you know, a new pair of shoes or a a new dress or whatever it might be. It's, It's easy to be cheerful, we know that. But how does it work out to be a cheerful in giving? Well, the reason is, actually, if we think about it and and if we've been giving, we know that it's actually good for us. It's good for us. Many researchers and studies have been done on this and and talk very much about how giving uh, is associated with pleasure and social connection and about um, community and about creating trust. Uh, And uh, scientists have even called it the helper's high. They say it can affect endorphins in your, in your mind that give you this helper's high. Well, I say that because the irony is that the Bible knew this already. It's not new to God. Christians should know this. We should know this already. It's interesting here, the word cheerful, a cheerful giver, in verse 7, I think it is, is, um, is the Greek word ileron. Ileron. And the word ileron is where we get our word hilarious. So really, a much better translation would be hilarious giver. Wouldn't that be great that if St. John's were known as our hilarious giving? I mean, what a great thing. Hilarious. Hilarity. And that's what kind of Paul's saying is because it gives so much joy and so much blessing. And sometimes we give... Um, but we don't really want to give. We kind of do it grudgingly. We think of all that we have and all that we could do with it, and somehow we believe that we'll be happier uh, spending it on ourselves. And, of course, that, the truth is it, it doesn't make us any happier. What will make us happy is when we give. It'll make us hilariously happy. <laughs> There's a, another principle. The, the, the fourth one is you can never outgive God. Brings us to that fourth principle here. If we look at verse 8, we can't outgive God. And God, it says, verse 8, is able to make all grace abound to you. Notice the all, all grace abound to you, so that in all things, in all times, having all you need, you will abound in every good work. Verse 9, then quoting Psalm 112, says, he, he, God, has scattered abroad his gifts to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. Now he supplies the seed to the sower and bread for food will also supply and increase your store of seed and will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. You see, the point is here is that the reason we give away our wealth and money and resources is because all our wealth comes from God, doesn't it? So that's what he's saying. 
But sometimes we find, don't we, we live in a world and we get caught up in that world which is the opposite. It reminds me of that L'Oreal um, advert, I think it's for shampoo, where it says, you're worth it. You know? And they shake the head with the hair. L'Oreal, you're worth it. You're owed it, you know, that, that kind of approach. Spend it on yourself. You've worked hard. Why not? It's yours, after all, is the kind of undertone, isn't it? But God says you've got what you've got by, by how? Well, because God's given it to you in the first place. The air that we breathe. I gave to you the gifts that you have, the talents that you have. The circumstances in which, in which you were born into, everything is a result of my goodness. All I ask is that you share it. The Christian attitude is all I have is from God. I was thinking about this and, and thinking about how to illustrate it. And imagine for a moment that I, I buy Verity, my daughter, uh, a big bag of sweets. I know it's bad for her teeth, um, but imagine I, I did that, and I, I sit down and I, I then ask her, can I have one of, one of your sweets? What do you think her reaction is going to be? <laughs> She's really lovely most of the time, but she will probably say no. And then I'll say, well, why not? And she said, well, they're mine. You, you gave them to me. Uh, what do I say in response to that? Um, I suppose we say, you know, you are kidding, aren't you, Verity? <laughs> That's what you say. I know I gave them to you. I'm not going to take them all back. I just want you to share back with me. Or, or suppose, a, a different illustration, um, someone gave you a huge house with ten bedrooms. I know that might sound ridiculous, but imagine somebody gives you a house with ten bedrooms, with ten bathrooms, and they, say, um, and they said to you, it's yours, you can have it, but I would like to have one of the ten rooms um, to use from time to time, no, no, no big deal. I might let some friends stay and use it as well. What would you say then to them? Do you turn around and say, no way, you gave it to it, it's mine? <laughs> you, just, you wouldn't do it, would you? It's a reasonable request. If they desire 10% of the house, then that's actually a fair deal, isn't it? It's a very good deal. And, and you see, God comes to us and says... I've given you everything. I've given you everything. Life, I've given you salvation. How about sharing 10% of the needs for the needs of others and for the community in the church? I mean, imagine coming and saying, no way, it's mine. I know, you know, um, we talk about tithe and talk about 10%, and I know that for many, that to, to get to 10% is, is, is a really hard thing. And it's not easy. But to say no way is maybe not the right, is not the right response, is it, to God? Lord, help me. Show me the way. Our natural inclination is to be like that child. But we need to think again. 
Which leads us to the last principle, which is the most important principle, because our giving flows from the gospel, from the good news. Um, You see it there most clearly in verse 13. Because of this service by which you have proved yourselves, others will praise God for the obedience that accompanies your confession of the gospel of Christ, the good news of Jesus, that is. Paul's showing us that your theology, what you believe, uh, uh, must have an impact in the practice of generous giving. It's got to work out, hasn't it? If you've, re- if you've experienced the good news of Jesus, that's got to work out somehow into practice. Remember whose gift this uh, was going to. This gift here that's going to the church in Jerusalem, which was, was poor uh, and was in need, and was by and large Jewish. It was Jews. Uh, and it was coming from Corinth and Macedonia, who were by and large Greeks, or, or what would be known as Gentiles. So when the believers in Jerusalem who are struggling financially are now able to eat, eat and, uh, and, uh, 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 and survive, and their friends come along and their neighbours come along and, and say, where have you been getting all these resources from? Uh, where have you been able to manage this? They can say, some people from Corinth and Macedonia, miles away, have sent money to Jerusalem church, and it's been distributed among the believers of Christ. And people and friends and neighbours will say, but aren't they Greek? Aren't they Gentiles? Aren't we supposed to not like them? How come? Well, they respond, don't they? Because we've met Jesus. And Jesus has made us one in Christ. Just as it says elsewhere in Galatians 3, 28, there is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is no male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. Because they're responding to the gospel who has made them one. See, giving begins and ends with Christ, just as Paul says in verse 15. Thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. Who, what's he talking about? He's talking about Jesus, isn't he? That's the indescribable gift. This is the grace of giving because it begins, it brings us back to the generosity of God in giving us his son, Jesus Christ, for our salvation. In a sense, this is like reminding us of Christmas again. <laughs> In February, verse 14. And in their prayers for you, their hearts will go out to you because of the surpassing grace God has given you. Paul's saying the way you know the grace of God uh, is if you are radically generous. If you've experienced God's grace in saving you from your sins, you will respond with grace and, and generosity because you've experienced it. He says, if you need to be commanded, in a sense, if you need to be commanded to give, you don't know the gospel. You've not experienced God's grace because it comes free. Radical generosity demonstrates your confession of the gospel. Christians, you see, if you're a believer here this morning, you look at Christ and what do you say? You say, Christ has given me everything. 
He's given me life. He's given me salvation. He's saved me from my sins. Uh, He's given me everything. You deserved everything, and yet you got everything I deserved. I deserved death, didn't I, for my sins. But yet he's given us life. He's given us freedom. He's given us salvation. I'm forgiven. I'm loved. I have his spirit living in me, transforming me. I'm part of his kingdom. I'm accepted. Jesus is so precious. Everything else becomes expendable. You can give it away. I think sometimes when we know the love of Christ this way, we know the kind of relationship that we have with Jesus is more like, I suppose, a a love relationship, isn't it? If you think about it, um, when you love someone, um, how do you know you're in love with them? Uh, You know you're in love with them when you want to give them the world. Isn't it true? You want to just give them the world. I remember when I was um, a student and I flew 5,000 miles back just for four days to see my then girlfriend. I spent $500, which I didn't have. I spent 200 quid on trains and, and all this uh, and, um, in order to get back to, to see her. I didn't care uh, about the money. I just wanted to see her. And all I could think about is being with that person. And that's the language isn't it, of love. Think about when you, you're in a loving embrace with somebody. What do you say to your beloved? You say, I'm yours and everything I own is yours. It's a bit like the marriage service, isn't it? When you say, um, all that I have, I share with you. This is how you know whether you're having a real relationship based on the grace of God or whether you're having a relationship based on duty and law. Because you're responding because of the love and grace that you've been shown. You see, a confessing Christian says, I owe you everything. Everything is yours. And that's why Paul can say here, you proved yourselves. You've proved yourselves because you've proved you know Jesus Christ. You know the confession of Christ. If our relationship with Christ is like this, we respond with generosity. I don't know where you, where you are with, with Jesus Christ. I don't know what your relationship is like with him. The more and more we see Jesus, the more and more we encounter his grace, the more and more we will give back in all sorts of ways, not just financially, but in time, in all sorts of ways and resources. This is the greatest of giving principles of all of them. So we need to be ready to give. We need to know that that proverbial uh, statement that you will reap what you sow, we need to know that it is a matter of the heart. You can't ever outgive God because he's given you everything. And we're giving his flows from the gospel of God's grace to us in the person of Jesus Christ. God, our Father, give us thankful hearts. Thank you so much for everything that you've given us, life, salvation, so much. Father, we pray that you'll help us to respond in our heart's desire to 
to, to give back to you what is yours already. Father, we know that there will be people amongst us who have little and some who will have more. We pray, Father, that nothing will be done out of manipulation. We just pray, Father, that you would provide for your church, that you would affect our hearts. We may see people come to know Jesus. So guide us as we think and pray that we may be ready to give. For we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.